All right, you can be seated. Man, what a great way to start our morning together and to uh, be witnesses to the testimony that Mary gave this morning of uh, the way that her life is changing uh, through Jesus. Like Brad and James both said, we love the story of life change here. We love to watch the way that Jesus is moving in and through people's lives. And when we open up the New Testament, we see kind of time and time again, like believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized, that once we place our trust in Jesus, then the next step is for us to be baptized. And it's this beautiful picture of us dying to ourselves. That's what representing going into the water looks like, is that we die to ourselves and that when we're pulled out of the water, that that represents us in our resurrected new lives in Jesus. It's the hope of the resurrection that we have. And so if you're here today and you're a believer, uh, man, I would encourage you to take that step of baptism, at least consider it. And uh, we make it pretty easy if you're interested in doing that. You'll see our text line quite a bit this morning, uh, but the number is 720 and if you text the word next uh, to that number, we will get you in touch with Doug Schmidt, who is our person on staff who helps everybody on that journey of baptism. And so if you're interested in that, you can pull out your phone now and uh, go ahead and text next to that number. All right. Well, with that said, I do want to welcome all of you joining us online at Crossroads Live, Facebook, YouTube, up at Fort Lupton, and of course here at Thornton. If you're brand new with us, welcome to Crossroads. My name is Matt Manning. And if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, uh, I am the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And today I'm pretty excited uh, to be up here speaking. I've been out of the saddle for the last uh, couple of weeks. We've been on vacation. We went and uh, visited family. And then also while we were gone, Sarah and I celebrated our uh, 20th anniversary of being married. Yeah. And so... Here's a picture of us uh, in paradise uh, doing that. And so we, we love being married. Like, I just love being married. And so uh, this is the best woman in the world. And so to be able to hang out with her on the beach was awesome. And so I come back refreshed, relaxed, ready to go. And so I'm going to try my very best not to fire hose you this morning, all right? I'm a little amped up and ready to go. So we'll just move into that. So if you are new with us, or maybe if you've missed uh, this part up to this point, we are in this series, right in the middle of a series uh, that we're doing through the book of Acts. And if this is kind of your first weekend into this, I just want to remind you or maybe show you for the first time very simply what Acts is all about. That Acts is all about God moving by his spirit in his church. That it's about God moving by the spirit in his church. It's this story, this narrative of the gospel moving out to the ends of the earth. It's the story of Jesus coming into this world with the message of hope and forgiveness for every single one of us. And really Acts is telling the story of the gospel moving from Jerusalem, this small Middle Eastern city where the crucifixion of Jesus happened, to Judea, which is kind of like the state, think of like Colorado, to Samaria, think of like Utah, all right? And then to the ends parts of the world. And the really cool thing is, is that we can have confidence in the story that we're looking at today because we're here. Like 2,000 years later, the gospel has moved from that little town in Jerusalem all the way around the world to us today. And here we are 2,000 years later standing and singing and celebrating the good news of Jesus in our lives. And as we move into the future, the gospel will continue to permeate to the ends of the earth. Now, part of the reason in doing this uh, series through the book of Acts and really my prayer through this is that as we move through Acts, that it would really help us refocus on where God would lead us, where he would lead us in regards to what we have always believed, what we have always practiced as a church, and how that might practically shape us in boldness and with confidence as we move forward into the future wherever God has for us. 
So we're in the part of the story in Acts where the gospel is moving in this city of Jerusalem. Again, Middle Eastern city where Jesus was crucified in Israel. The gospel is beginning to spread in this area. And if you were here last week, you heard uh, through Pastor Chris kind of the experience of this amazing story of Peter and John when they encountered this crippled guy. That they come across this crippled guy and the temple gates... And this crippled guy was around 40 years old, about my age, and he had been crippled, lame his entire life, which means he could not walk. That he could not walk his entire life, which meant that every day his life consisted of pretty much the same thing. That his friends would go to his house, they would get him, they would carry him to the temple gate, they would sit him down, and for the rest of the day he would sit there and he would beg for alms. He would beg for people to give him money until his friends came and picked him up and took him back home. Now, this was a little different in their culture than what we experience today with like panhandlers on the streets and all that. Like this was culturally uh, normative for their, for their society. That the expectation was is that if you could not work, if you were lame and could not work, that the expectation is, is that you would find your way to the temple gate and that you would beg for money as a way of supporting yourself. That was normative in their society. It was an expectation of what was going on in their society. And so every day, this guy gets led to the temple gates and he passes by and he begs for people to throw some coin into his buckets. And who knows... How many times Peter, John, even Jesus walked by this guy as they went to the temple? This crippled man had no idea that for the last 40 years that he had been passed over for the purpose of this day, where thousands upon thousands would be impacted by his story. Because on this day, he'll sing, and on this day, he'll dance, and on this day, when people see him, they'll say, how do I get more of that Jesus in my life? Here's how the story unfolds. That Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, and as they're walking towards the temple, the Holy Spirit nudges them. And as they pass by this crippled man, the crippled man looks at Peter and he says to him, do you got any money for me? Do you got any gold or silver that you can give? And Peter looks at the man and he says to him, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have I'll give to you. And then with all the boldness and confidence in the world, Peter reaches out his hand, takes the crippled guy, and stands him up for the first time in 40 years. And the guy doesn't just stand there. The guy does what any of us would do. He takes off running. And he runs right into the temple. And the people are seeing him in the temple. And they're totally astonished and amazed because they had seen this guy for decades at the city gates. And he's running around the temple. And they decide that they're going to start running with him. And so pretty soon you have this whole crowd of people just running through the temple. Eventually they make it to Solomon's portico. And the guy, the crippled guy who's running, runs right up to Peter, bear hugs him, steps back. And as Peter looks out of the crowd, they're all standing in amazement and in awe of what has just happened. Peter takes this as his cue. He begins to share the message of Jesus. He begins to share the gospel. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, that's Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So, like, get this, right? Like, Peter is preaching the second message that he's ever given in his entire life. 
Like his first sermon was what we call the day of Pentecost. And on that day, he basically looks out at all the people and says, you're the reason that Jesus got crucified. It was your sin, repent, and they all do. They fall to their knees and they repent and 3,000 people come to Jesus on that day. The next time he gets a chance to preach is here and he's preaching and as he's preaching this message, the leaders, the religious leaders, the authorities on the temple come and they slap handcuffs on him. And as they're dragging him away to jail, he does an old fashioned altar call and he says, hey, as anybody believes this message, come forward and accept Jesus. And 5,000 men stand up and do. Like, like this, is, this is amazing. Like at this point in the story, in the story of Acts, from the day of Pentecost to now is just a two week period. And in those two weeks, 8,000 plus men, that's not even counting women and children, that's 15% of Jerusalem has engaged in and believed in the message of Jesus. And all of it happened because about 100 people, less than what are sitting in this room today, decided that they were gonna walk by the Spirit daily. I mean, this is pretty amazing. So powerful, the work of the Spirit here in Solomon's portico, that all of these people start praising God. 5,000 men join the chorus of the saints. See, when it comes to us living our lives, that whenever the gospel is proclaimed, there will be people who receive the good news of Jesus and believe. And on those days, there will be great celebration and there will be great praise in those moments that, that Jesus meets people where they're at and, and people will respond in the gospel. Lives will be saved, souls will be redeemed. And yet at the very same time, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, there will be those who are absolutely offended that you would even imply that they need forgiveness and that they need a savior. And on those days, they will do whatever they can to shut down the message that you're speaking. They think that if we can just shut down the messenger, if we can just shut down the message, then we can stop wrestling with what they're saying. To hear that you're more sinful than you ever dreamed yourself to be and have no hope in fixing that yourself is and can be deeply offensive. In this amazing story, Peter and John, because of their willingness to, to walk by the Spirit, see 5,000 men come to salvation that day, 5,000 souls saved, and at the very same time, they end up in courts in a defense of their good deed of healing this man. This story today is a story of how do we interact with those who are offended by the gospel lives that we live. The story plays out like this, that Peter and John are now standing before this temple court and they're made up largely of the Sadducees. The Sadducees are this religious political group that had a lot of influence in Jerusalem during this time, but not only are the Sadducees in the court that day, so is Caiaphas, the high priest. And you may or may not remember, but Caiaphas was the one who oversaw, who led the crucifixion of Jesus just two months earlier. And the last time that Peter had seen Caiaphas, the high priest, was at Jesus' trial. 
that Peter was following Jesus from behind. He was watching it all at a distance. He was watching all of this take place the night before Jesus was crucified. And on that night, three people individually came up to him and said, hey, aren't you the guy that's been hanging with Jesus? And three times, Peter denies Jesus and runs into the darkness. But on this day, Peter will not run into the darkness. As he's called to give a defense, he stands up and he begins to give the message of the church that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, three days later rose again, validating his message that whoever believes will be saved. And this bold proclamation, as Peter speaks and gives his defense, infuriates, absolutely infuriates these leaders because the Sadducees, in particular, did not believe in resurrection. And as Peter proclaims this message with the added visible evidence of Jesus' power as this lame man's running wild around the temple, all of a sudden you can just feel the tension in the courtroom. Like you can just feel the fear of the leaders, can't you, in this moment? that the whole system that they had built their lives upon is about to collapse. The whole temple system is about to fall on itself, which means no more pilgrimage to the temple, no more sacrifices at the temple, no more priestly order, no more power, no more influence for these guys, no more, no more sacrificial system, which means a complete collapse of the system that they totally took advantage of to become powerful and very wealthy men. And Peter, in this moment, he does not cower. He will not be intimidated. He's not going to deny Jesus again. This time he shares our message, the message of the church. And in doing so, as he finishes up and wraps up his defense, all of the people in the temple look at him. And here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And then my favorite line, in all of the Bible, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, maybe that'd be true of every single one of us, that people recognize that we have been with Jesus. See, if you're here today and you're going, man, like, Matt, I'm just, I'm just like a regular guy. I'm just a regular girl. Like, there's nothing special about me. What could God ever use with me? Like, what could God ever do with someone like me. Listen very carefully. A changed life is the best witness for God. Not somebody who has the best theology, not someone who has all the right answers, not someone who's good at speaking in front of people or lights up a room when they walk in. The best witness is someone whose life has been changed. Someone who when they step into the room, others look at him and go, hey, 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 that person, that guy, that girl, they've been with Jesus. It's all the proof that you need in your life to know that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And so the leaders are seeing all of this take place, and here's the response, verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them. And it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. Like, this response of the religious leaders is so stunning to me. 
Because I look at this, and, and all of the evidence is right there in front of them, isn't it? I mean, you got two guys who just pulled off a miracle that they have no business pulling off outside of the hand of God. I mean, how else can you explain what's gone on, what they can see with their eyes? That Peter, in his defense, begins to share the same message that he shared in Solomon's portico where 5,000 people came. And at the end of his defense, he calls to the religious leaders to put their faith in Jesus, to believe. Like, it's all right there in front of them. And yet, and yet, they do everything they can to not believe. They do everything they can. It's, it's like, what more evidence do you need? It's like it does not even enter into their minds that this might be real, that this might be true. And I think that this is so common even today, that Jesus meets people right where they're at. He meets them with forgiveness, and that forgiveness is so offensive that they grasp for ways not to believe. Ways to, to put it down, to shut it out, to, to make it look silly, to crush it, to get rid of this nagging truth in their lives. Like this is the posture of the unbelieving hearts. And throughout Jesus' life, this is the game that the religious leaders played with Jesus over and over again. Like time and time again, they would come to Jesus thinking they were going to trick Jesus with a question. And they would ask Jesus this question, and he would sincerely answer the question in like mind-bending ways that would rebuild the perspective that they had of, of God and what God was intending to do in their lives. And after they walked away, it wasn't like they, they looked at Jesus and saw him for who he was. No, they would walk away back to their dens and they would lick their wounds looking for the next time that they could try to best Jesus. Like over and over and over again, this is how it happened. This was the posture of unbelief. How do I figure out ways to deny what I've seen? How do I go about not believing what's before me? Well, verse 18, here's their answer. So they called... They called them, that's Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must be judged. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot speak but what we have seen and heard, that Peter finally gets it. This is Peter's great redemptive moment in the scriptures. The judge basically looks at Peter and John and says, no more, that your guilty is charged and your sentence is that you can no longer speak of the name. Like this political religious judge cannot even utter the name of Jesus. Like we entered into Potterverse, right? And Jesus is somehow the one who shall not be named. And Peter and John look at the judge and they go, hey, judge, you're going to have to figure this out for yourself. But for us, we believe that we've just seen too much, we've heard too much, that we've been witness to too many things that, that we believe and we just can't stop talking about it. We're going to go on. And their response, Peter and John's response, like on any other regular day, like that would have been bad news for them. Like that would have been contempt of court, long time in prison. But the religious leaders, they're smart. And they see with this guy running wild around the temple who had not been able to walk for 40 years. They see the crowds are behind Peter and John. And that the only thing that they can do on this day is threaten them and let them go. So after spending a night in jail, after being questioned over healing a crippled man, after being intimidated and threatened because of this good deed, they're released. And when they're released, they go back to their friends. And what happens next is so odd. Because it's not how you and I would do it. 
I mean, if this was you and me, we would probably go home and we would hatch a plan that looks something like this. We would strategize a way to mobilize the people, wouldn't we? Like we would look out and we'd go, man, we got 8,000 men behind us plus women and children, more are being added every single day that we're part of a movement. Like we're gonna go protest the temple. We're gonna call meetings together to plan ways to, to overthrow the leadership. Like we're gonna take Jerusalem. And if it gets rowdy, like we're not afraid to get rowdy, are we? I mean, Peter and John, these boys, they weren't afraid to get rowdy. Peter, right, when they're coming for Jesus, the mob's coming for Jesus, he's swinging his sword, taking off ears. You know, John, he was called the son of thunder because of his pretensity to fight. And one time in Jesus' life, when Jesus is facing a little bit of opposition from people, John comes up to Jesus, it's this great moment, and he's like, yo, Jesus, you want me just to call down fire from heaven and smoke these fools? Like, if it gets rowdy, all right, we're ready to fight. And yet the Spirit of God is in these boys, and it's changing them. And that's not how they respond. Maybe in their past, that's the way they responded. Maybe that's how you and I would respond, but not now. They respond like this, verse 23, and when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, they begin to pray. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they, they set themselves up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with all the Gentiles and even all of the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name of the holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the words of God with all boldness. I mean, the response of Peter and, and John and the believers here was to raise their voices in prayer. Instead of having this mob spirit, they let the spirit of God work. And they started to pray. And it wasn't like one person was praying and then other people were had this like kind of muted amens, you know, in agreement. No, this was like a war cry. This was a powerful call to spiritual battle. God, you made the heavens and the earth and all that are in them. No one can thwart your plans, that you're in control and we trust in you. Pain and injustice, that's ours in this kingdom that you're building. And where we would be so prone to pray that God would take us out of the injustice and the pain, they pray that God would lead them in. And as he leads them in, that they would face it with courage and boldness as they speak the word. They say, this isn't the first time and it won't be the last time that persecution comes our way. God, give us courage to speak your gospel. And I look at this prayer and I go, wow. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, give me the fortitude to pray like that. Jesus, give this church the fortitude to live like that. That when we face difficulty and, and opposition in our lives as a church, may we not raise up and shake our fists, nor may we cower into the darkness, 
but rather would we drop to our knees praying that as God leads us into injustice and opposition and persecution and pain, that it would be met with us with bold and courage as we shared the message. That God, you are in control. See, if you're a believer here today, if you're a believer here today, and you're living lives that are, that are gospel-centric, where you're proclaiming the gospel, you will always find yourself right where Peter and John found themselves. That there will be those who believe, and in those days there will be great celebration over those who are redeemed, to those, those who join the course of the saints in heaven. And there will be those who strongly oppose the life that you're living because they're offended. And our great temptation, come on, our great temptation as believers is to step into the shadows and do exactly what the courts requested Peter and John to do, to cover the light that is Jesus in our lives so that we can have the approval of men. Listen, every single one of us wants to be liked. There's not a single person here who does not want to be liked in their lives, and, and that's totally okay. That's, that's not a bad thing that none of us wants to be the odd guy or the odd girl out in our lives, that, that we all want to be liked. But if we are simply living our lives for the approval of men, then we lose our way. When your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, those that you spend time with at your kids' ball games, when their acceptance of you becomes more important than your desire to please God, you have lost your way. See, I mean, just listen to these heartbreaking words that we find in John chapter 12, verse 42. It says this, and nevertheless, many, these are religious authority, many even of the authorities believed in him, that being Jesus. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That our calling in this life is to live lives that are bold and courageous for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the one who has saved us. Now hear me on this, that as we read Acts chapter four, it is not calling us to be some hyperactive spiritual nuts, right? Like who go around splashing healing oil on people who have allergies. Like if you walk away from this message going, I'm going to annoy unbelievers until I get a response, you missed it. Now what, Peter and John are doing here is they're living gospel-centric lives. They're simply speaking about what they've seen and heard Jesus do in their lives. And as they go about their lives doing that, some are giving their, their lives to faith and souls are being saved and others are deeply offended and trying to shut them down. It's the environment that comes with living gospel-centered lives. It's why we need to be bold. It's why we need to be courageous. Don't be surprised by this that the message of Acts chapter four is to have confidence in the God who has made the heavens and the earth. Be bold in your faith and continue to live gospel-centric lives so that when you walk into a room, people go, oh, oh, that guy right there, Matt, he's been with Jesus. See, that comes with boldness and courage to face whatever comes our way. In a few moments, I'm gonna pray for the boldness of our church, but before I get there, I know that for some of you, maybe watching online or in-house at Fort Lupton, that maybe you're sitting on that fence of curiosity. Maybe you would even describe yourself a few days, months, years ago as the opposition. And yet you've seen God do something in your lives that you just cannot deny. 
that you see God at work and you've seen some things and you've heard some things that can only be explained by the hand of God. And yet as you try to share this with some people in your lives, you feel so silly because of the response and, and it makes you want to kind of shrink back and you don't really know what to do with that. Well, my encouragement to you is that that's God at work in your life. And you're at a crossroads of sort. And the question that you have to figure out today is this, is are you running around in celebration and praise of what God is doing in your life? Or are you like the religious, religious leaders, racking your brain, trying to figure out ways not to believe? See, the invitation is, is yours. And the gospel is, is pretty simple. It can be summed up this way is that we are more sinful and we are more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. That's the message of the gospel. The invitation is yours. Will you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we, uh, we know that we are in your presence right now, singing your praises, looking at your word, and Father, today, Lord, I pray for, for those that you're speaking to right now. God, who are sitting on the fence of curiosity, looking at what you're doing and wondering if this is real. Lord, they see the acts that can only be explained by your hand. Lord, I pray that as you move in, your li in their lives, Lord, that you would touch their hearts, that you would, that you would, Lord, that you would move them into relationship with you and that they too would join the chorus of the saints in heaven. God, I pray for the church, Lord, for this church, for Crossroads Church. Lord, you have called us to be bold and courageous. In fact, over 300 times in your word, you tell us not to live in fear. God, we have such a propensity to shrink back, to fear, the unknown, to fear what people might think of us. And Father, I pray that you would help us live bold lives. Lord, bold lives that are centered on the gospel. Or that when we walk into a room, Lord, that people know that we've been with you. And when they ask, Lord, that we wouldn't get fearful or shy away or make an excuse, but Lord, that we would speak our message, that you are the son of the living God, that you are the Christ's, come to this earth to die on the cross for our sins three days later, raising again, proving you are who you said you are. Lord, I pray that that would be the story of our lives. Lord, give us boldness and courage to live that out beyond these walls. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. For those of you who are here today that maybe God is speaking to your heart today, maybe today you just need to take a small step if you're interested and having a deeper conversation about what this Jesus is all about and who he can be in your life. Again, the text number is 720-513-1933. You can just text the word Jesus and we'll start that conversation with you. Every week we come together and we celebrate communion. And the reason that we do is because this is a picture of the greatest testimony that we have in our lives. That Jesus came, that his body was broken, that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins that on the cross we find our healing. And so today we celebrate that together as a church, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. We drink of the cup knowing that the forgiveness of sins is ours in Jesus.
If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray alongside you. Online, you can click the button and fill out the form. In-house, you can make your way over to the banner. We'll have people to pray for you there. But I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and stand and sing as we declare the glory of God in the name of Jesus together.